are. All right, welcome to the brand new podcast. I'm Mike Allen. Matt is out of the building today. We are here with the first uh, vice chair of the Fairfax GOP, Sean Rastatter. Great to have you on, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, what, you know, Virginia is going to be, I keep hearing Virginia's a lost cause. Virginia, uh, John Fredericks keeps saying, you know, nope, Virginia's going to be too close to call. What are you guys what are you guys seeing in Fairfax? Do you think Virginia might actually go red this cycle? I, I think I think it's close enough where the Democrats shouldn't be sleeping on Virginia, and they are, which makes me more confident. Um, look, the fact of the matter is this, right? President Trump is having a rally here on Friday. He wouldn't be having a rally in Virginia if he wasn't confident enough that Virginia could be won. I would say that Virginia is probably one of the last swing states to go. So if he's having a rally here and putting resources in Virginia, that means he's very confident about this election. And I think that tells you pretty much all you need to know. Plus the fact that the Democrats aren't knocking doors. They're not really making phone calls. They're not making voter contacts. Uh, Mike, I got to be honest with you. I'm from Northern Virginia. I've lived here my whole life. I'm not seeing any Biden signs. No I've Biden seen stickers. one Biden sticker. Not one. Not one. Which is crazy when you think about it. Because, I mean, look – Hillary, her campaign had a lot of faults if we're just looking at politically. And yes, coronavirus wasn't then. But Hillary still had a ground game, as far as I remember. I remember there were Hillary signs. I remember, uh, I mean, I think it's a huge mistake. And I see what you guys are doing. Um, You guys are knocking doors. You guys are calling people. Because even though there's coronavirus, people might be a little hesitant. But the phones are still important. That's right. All the campaigns. I mean, Alicia Andrews' campaign, I think, knocked over 5,000 doors last week. Yep. Right? I, was, I was there. She's, she has the momentum. I don't, see, I don't see Wexton doing a thing. I don't see her either. Yeah. I, I mean, Mark Warner, once again, the last time he kind of slept easy, Ed Gillespie yeah. almost bit him. The best him. way I could put it is, and you, you mentioned something about Hillary Clinton's campaign, where she made a mistake is where she put her resources and where she didn't put her resources. She didn't put her resources in critical swing states like Wisconsin. And to be honest with you, I'm seeing kind of the same thing from Biden. I think he's doing the same thing. He's pulling a Wisconsin in Virginia. Um, and, and dare I say that because Virginia for a long time has gone damn statewide. You know, they just moved it from likely to lean, you know, and that's momentum that I don't think Biden is ever going to get back. It's only going to go towards our direction. So to be honest with you, Biden not having a campaign in Virginia, I mean, it really hurts him. Um, I was on a Breitbart radio last night discussing the same thing with a gentleman from Florida. And he's like, I don't think you guys are going to win it. And I said, well, the fact that we're having this discussion means a lot. Because what it means is that the holes are springing up all over Biden's ship, and he doesn't have enough corks to stop them all. And if Virginia is one of those holes, I mean, he can't lose Virginia. If he loses Virginia, he loses the, na- the, you know, the nation. So Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm even seeing, and where you are, I mean, you are in the bluest of the blue area of Virginia. And still, I'm seeing momentum for Alicia Andrews. I'm seeing right. gain signs. That's so, right. Really hats off to you guys um, for doing this ground game. Um, you know, it's no secret that you're a young guy. Um, I'm a young guy. Matt's a young guy. Um, what, what advice do you have, especially for young voters? I mean, today, uh, everyone's registering to vote. You know, if they haven't, it's like the last minute. Um, what, what advice do you have to swing young people uh, more to the GOP, especially in Fairfax? Yeah, I mean, Alicia Andrews is a millennial herself, and she's one of the, the perfect examples of, of why millennials are rebelling against what would be considered the, the norm for the, for the millennial generation. Um, I'm personally a Gen Z myself, and I think it really comes down to we're tired of the cancel culture. 
it's just gotten out of hand. I mean, they tried canceling a majority of Hispanic business, uh, Goya Foods, which yep. in my opinion was not only disrespectful, but also goes against what they purport to be um, standing for. And aside from the cancel culture, we're tired of political correctness at every single corner, being told of what we can and can't say, um, you know, being, being encroached upon our First Amendment rights. And the fact of the matter is that I think the younger generation is starting to wake up to that um, and wake up to just the absurdity of this culture that we're living in right now. And I mean, every generation has their kind of counterculture feedback loop. And I think that's what we're seeing right here. I'd say in a lot of reason, that's part of the reason why Donald Trump got elected in 2016. He was very popular with the young generation precisely because of what I'm saying right now. Um, and to the young people out there, I mean, just, you know, the silent majority is a real thing. And just because you're standing in line voting for Donald Trump doesn't mean um, that you should feel ashamed about it. I mean, that's just a simple fact there. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say it's interesting because you look at the 60s, where uh, the 60s, in the 60s, it was frankly conservatives that were shutting down freedom of speech at Berkeley. And now, interest, right. in an interesting twist, it's liberals who are eliminating free speech at Berkeley, like they wouldn't right. to be able to speak. So it's interesting how the pendulum uh, definitely swings. Um, and, and I would say, especially as young people, there is a pressure um, to, I'm sure you battled it in college, I battled it in college, where uh, to form into groupthink, to almost be ashamed of your views. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in college, um, as a young person in general, like, it's just, it's one of those things where when, when you see everyone else around you have the same opinion publicly and not provide what their actual beliefs are. Um, to give an example, you know, early voting happened earlier uh, last week. It was last Thursday, started in Virginia. We had this one reporter who was, in my opinion, a little bit rude and a little bit crass. And she went and claimed that she went across the entire line, asked everyone, and she said everyone down the line was voting Democrat. And she came over to the, the Republican tent and said, how do you feel about that? They're all voting Democrat. And we said, well, first off, we have no comment. Um, but what, what we wanted to say to her, what I wanted to say to her, but I wasn't there, was, do you really think people would tell you if they're voting Republican? I mean, you've got businesses that are being looted. Uh, people are throwing bricks through people's houses. Do you really think people would be willing to tell you, liberal news media, that they are voting Republican? And that's the same factor that we're dealing with, the young, younger generation, right? Yeah. People don't want to admit their true views. No, not, a, not at all. And, and it's a huge, and this is why, I guess, look, in a recent poll, um, Trump and Gade are falling way behind. However, I would say if 2016 taught us anything, polling doesn't matter anymore because people might not be honest or feel comfortable over the phone or, or in person answering right. questions. Well, Mike, what I would say about polling that does matter is, I'm, I'm a math guy, so I'm going to use a, a yeah. big math term, derivatives. That's what matters, right? It's about the rate of change. What is the momentum going towards? Where is the direction headed? And what we are seeing here is that the rate of change for Trump's increase support and popularity is a lot higher than Biden's. And I don't think Biden is going to get that momentum back. So while we may be down nationwide, the rate he is coming back after the RNC is a ridiculous rate. And if he keeps it up, he is going to be actually in, in charge of this election, which hasn't happened. And I don't certainly not in my lifetime. Um, and another thing to mention is a statistic that came out a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago in Northern Virginia that said that Republicans in Northern Virginia were commanding a 32 percent vote. I'm talking that includes Arlington, that includes Alexandria. To be honest with you, if you get 32% of the vote in Northern Virginia with Arlington and Alexandria, yeah. I mean, you're winning statewide. That is a number that actually is really good. Um, Donald Trump got 29% in Fairfax in 2016, and we still got yeah. 45 statewide, so. Well, and I mean, especially, and that's standard for, for uh, yeah, I mean, it's a blessing if you are a Republican getting 32 and you keep chipping away, especially as we go further south into Prince William. 
where, I mean, Prince William, um, my good friend Tim Parrish, as, and I mean, as you know, he's really making Prince William, he's trying to get it red again. Yeah, he's killing it. Tim Parrish is a good friend of mine. I'm so happy he got elected chair. And, you know, we've been knocking down the county lines. Like, I've got maps over here that, that show okay. you know, lines that only correlate to Fairfax County. But to be honest with you, our strategy is not just Fairfax County. We know it's all over Virginia that we need to win. So Tim Parrish and I work together, you know, hosting Trump trains and rallies and everything we can. So we love our guys in Princeton County and Loudoun County. Well, I'm, I'm sure you can attest to this. I mean, Fairfax really is, uh, I don't want to say it's Northern Virginia at its worst, but it's Northern Virginia at its bluest, right? Um, and if you were able to, you know, Fairfax is, it's a beautiful county. However, I mean, look, Virginia is now one of the most expensive states to live in. All because of Fairfax, because of democratic policies. There's housing insecurity. There's job insecurity. These are problems that the Democrats are supposed to fix. So, I mean, I believe you guys have a huge chance to win it back or at least make a huge dent in it, right? Right. I mean, is it, is it a crazy dream? A lot no, of people just write Nova off. It, Mike, it's really not a crazy dream. I mean, even in my lifetime when I was a kid, my mom worked as a teacher in Fairfax and my dad walked to, worked as a police officer in Fairfax. And when I was a kid, we had a majority on the uh, County Board of Supervisors. You know, when my father was a kid here in Northern Virginia, we had the chairman, we had a congressional representative in the, in the 11th, Tom Davis, um, congressional yeah. representative in the 10th, Frank, um, Frank Wolf. It's not crazy. It's happened in my lifetime. It will happen again. The pendulum swings. And the fact of the matter is, Mike, that we only have one Republican representative I suppose if you count the clerk of the court, we have two out of 50 some odd seats, right? That kind of thing, like Democrat mismanagement and government mismanagement is all on them, entirely on them. What's going on with the school system right now, entirely on them. It's a school board that is all run by Democrats. It will swing back and it will swing back really hard against them. Well, especially, look, I mean, your, your mom's a teacher. We've talked about that before. I'm a teacher. And right now, I mean, what they've done, I mean, they've politicized the classroom, unfortunately. Um, and look, I'm all for, I believe we, we should keep teachers safe. I believe we should keep students safe. Um, however, in Maryland, they seem to have figured it out. And uh, Fairfax, actually, along with uh, me and Loudoun County, a lot of the people wanted hybrid learning. And I thought that was a good compromise, where it was uh, two days distance learning, uh, three days in person, um, with staggered recess and everything. And Maryland, to the, you know, Larry Hogan figured it out. Virginia, I mean, Ralph Northam has led from behind in, in everything. And I mean, Fairfax, like you said, if it's an all blue school board, they're not going to try and figure out any measures. That's right. Yeah, they, there's no excuse. I mean, they sent out a survey to parents and teachers, um, which came back 60% of them in favor of a hybrid option. Why yeah. would you send that survey out and then not listen to the survey? It's like you Especially wanted to rubber stamp. The, the parents are the taxpayers. Right. Right. Like, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of, that's what I thought was crazy, where it's like, you have a lot of people now, look, if you're an older teacher with a pre-existing condition, um, I think you simply should have just been made a distance learning teacher. If you that's were right. young, if you were healthy, I mean, I'm willing to step in for, for the, for the kids, for the benefit yeah. to them, you know? So, and I think a lot are, and I think, it didn't have to be politicized until they made it politicized. And the thing is that education matters a lot in Fairfax County. I mean, what they're doing with Thomas Jefferson, um, the, the crisis that came about because of the governor, just for random reasons, just saying, oh, I think we have an equity problem with TJ. We should change that. Um, and they've upset a lot of the Asian demographic who, you know, are being disproportionately affected by an incorrect policy. Um, 
I think the education is an issue that will win Northern Virginia, specifically Fairfax County. They care about their schools and they care about their safety. And that's what we've been hitting in the Fairfax GOP. And we've been getting just incredible results. Because well, and Sean, I'm sure you know, I'm sure your mom knows. If we talk about true equity, a lot of these people can't claim they're for equity and then adopt this policy, which that's disproportionately right. affects children of color, that's affects right. EL students, affects SPED students. I mean, these, especially, look, I, you know, I have children who they're brand new to the country and now they have to learn an online program. By the way, yeah. the teachers aren't trained on this because a lot no. of people just switched out the online program. Um, so they have to learn that. They have to then know English and they have to figure their way around the computer. Like it's cruel. Yeah. They're claiming they're for equity. They're claiming Special education. I mean, kids yeah. who have autism, how are they supposed to be able to learn over, you know, it's, 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 that they should be Hands-on activities, especially you can't claim that oh, I'm so welcoming to immigrants, but then not teach the immigrant, like not have learning in place for right. any of the immigrant children to catch up to the rest. Like it's, it's really Here, cruel. Here's another equity disaster of their own making, right? The consideration of not opening schools and then not providing options, reasonable, reasonable and realistic options for parents to put their kids in to watch. Who do you think is going to be affected the most by that? It's going to be working families, and it's most likely going to be the mothers, which we've already started to see, having to sacrifice their careers for their family. That creates an equity gap, right? Yeah. And they're the ones that are always supposed to be for equity, yet they're creating their own problems. And you know it's not, it's not the, the latte liberal uh, people that, that live in McLean that are going to be affected by this. It's That's going right. to be um, the um, Salvadorian working mother of, yep. of five. Like, it's going to be... A, a lot of these parents who have, uh, you know, children and uh, the dads either work in the morning or the moms working at night. And then on top of that, you're not allowed to leave your kid at home. Right. Uh, I believe it's like under the age of nine in Virginia. And yeah. I mean, are. And the families that are well off, you're already starting to see these things called pots where they're paying for very well off tutors to go and tutor their kids and give them supplemental education. So again, you talk about the equity crisis. It's not going to be the uh, the well-off families that are going to get um, affected by this. You think that a, a woke school system would figure that out, but they have not. No. And to be honest with you, they've made a big disaster, a big mistake. Um, the best way I can describe it is kind of like when I was a kid, my my parents would require me to finish my dinner um, before I got up, you know, and have to clean my plate basically, right? But the Democrats, they... They, they aren't cleaning their plate. Actually, what they're doing is, when I did it as a kid, is I would just take my plate and I would stick it under the table and I'd say, oh, look, I finished it. Oh, and I put it in the dishwasher as well. And the Democrats are doing the same thing. Like with every problem they face, they're just ignoring it and putting it under the table, right? Like we have problems that are with our, um, well, perceived problems, in my opinion, with the way policing happens in the United States of America. Their answer is defund the police, just cancel them, right? Um, we have issues with school debt, student loan debt. Their answer is to cancel the debt, just pretend it doesn't exist opening schools in COVID, right? Which the rest of the world has figured out. And their answer, once again, is to not open schools. I mean, good Lord, can we stop putting the plate under the table and just forgetting about it, ignoring it, actually focus on the real problems and fix them for once? Yeah, that, that's, a great, that's a great way to put it. Because, I mean, really, quite, quite frankly, especially with defunding the police, look, um, for those bad apples, a lot of the problem is, for example, uh, you know, the man, the, the police who was wrong and, and murdered George Floyd, I believe was only making 42000 a year. And on top of that, he was written up 47 times. And then on top of that, the police union was protecting the, the you know, the lowest common denominator, uh, denominator right? Like the, um, you know, he was at the bottom of the barrel, right? And he was protected. But the, the real issue is, 
we how can we expect especially when they're not provided a lot of them you know a lot of counties aren't providing the cops proper education or proper equipment then they're going to underpay them and then no. your answer is to defund the police yeah i mean the, the notion that they think that will solve the problem i mean point to me a society in the history of the world that has not had law and order it doesn't exist anarchy no. is not a system of government it's a system of non-government I don't understand. They think this is a rational like solution. The way I think about it, it's like they're not just swimming up a current. They're swimming up a current with no boat, no paddle, right? Because the police are going to be around in 20 years. They're going to be around in 200 years. Like they're not going anywhere. So the notion that you can happen in Seattle when yeah. there was a chop, right? When they set up their own society, <laughs> I believe a, a a teenager of color was still killed by their security right. guards. That's or right. Whatever. Right? right, like so. Yeah, I mean, they think they can do it better. I mean, it's like if there's a better way, like I'd consider, I consider like listening to hearing what you have to say, but what they have to say is absurd and obviously will not work. So no, I mean, we, we're not defunding the police, um, we're not defalonizing the assault on a police officer, and we're not getting rid of qualified immunity because none of these things will actually address the underlying problems we have in America. The underlying problems we have are that people, like inherently, the citizens don't trust the police, and there's a problem there in a lot of these inner cities, right? So how do we start solving that problem and have that discussion? Instead of freaking getting rid of the police, defunding them, getting rid of their pensions. I mean, this is not how you solve problems in America. No. Their answers are just Molotov cocktails all the time. I mean, it's like, come on. Like, I just because, can't stand it. Because, Sean, as, as well as, you know, you know, the more problems, the more dishes there are under the table, the less, uh, oh, wait, we're trying to solve all this. We're the Republicans. That's right. That's right. It, it always leads back to that. Now, a lot of excitement, not only... I would say a lot of issues the Republicans have going for them, education, safety, uh, law and order. Uh, the biggest opening uh, is the Supreme Court. Um, and we acknowledge uh, you know, Justice Ginsburg's passing. Um, she, she was a woman of incredible gumption. However, um, now she has passed. It is the constitutional duty of the president to fulfill that seat. Do you see that as an issue to gin up Northern Virginia, especially? Yeah. I. I just, I, I first want to say that I, I know there's a lot of conservatives out there that are, um, you know, like openly posting like, you know, Ginsburg's gone. Yay. I, I'm, I personally don't think we should be doing that. I think it's indecorous the best. I hated when people were doing that with uh, Scalia, you know, yeah, Scalia I thought was an excellent justice. Like these people have distinguished careers and they work their whole life and you might disagree with them, but you know, at the end of the day, like it's a human being and we should respect the human humanness inside of us. That being said, with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I mean, it's one of those scenarios where you know, late at night, six months ago with my roommate, we were like saying, what would happen if, and yeah. now we're in that scenario where it's happened. Um, I think the simple answer is that Republicans and the Senate majority don't have a choice. Um, we have to push this through, right? For a consistency and for legitimacy, when you have power and control of the presidency and the Senate, almost always and ever in election year, you have a, a vacancy fill. Like, it's just simple. That's what, that's what Romney's saying. That's what the majority in the Senate is saying. Um, and that's a big deal if Romney's saying it. That's right. right? I that's mean, right. Romney wasn't exactly a team player with a lot of things, but if you have Romney on board, that's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, that's why I mentioned that. That's why I mentioned that. Like, Rom Romney even understands, and I mean, again, Romney in the keyword even understands here that there is a simple choice here, and the simple choice is to continue with the hearings and continue with the judiciary selection. Um, whether that happens before, whether we vote on it before the presidential election or after, I don't really know, but the simple answer is you're not just gonna you're not just gonna stop it, um, you know. And and the Democrats are crying foul and saying, well, but you did that in 2016. Well, the simple answer is in 2016 the Democrats were saying do your jobs, so now we're saying do our jobs. So why is it any different? I mean, 
It's like they want to change their values based on President of Obama. It was at the tail end of eight years, as opposed to you know the possibility of another four. They also weren't in control of the Senate. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So uh, I mean, and once again, elections have consequences, um, and that really that applies to both sides. That's if right. You did not get out and vote. Um, especially especially with a lot of elections we have at stake here. Well, Mike, we also talk about single-issue voters, right? I mean, we've talked yep. about people who vote on education and safety schools. There's a lot yep. of people who vote on judiciary. Like, that's their issue. That's what they care about, a lot of pro-lifers especially. Um, yep. This, I think, in a lot of ways drums up that support. I mean, it becomes now about getting that single-issue voter who will vote for the president by virtue of his selection on that court. Um, and that, I, I, I'm willing to wager that that will get us votes. That will get us people who otherwise would have said, ah, I don't know, I'll sit this one out, you know? Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think, now that I, I think we covered all the bases on 2020 and what's at stake here, what do you think about uh, 2021, how that's shaping up um, for us as a party? I think, you know, especially at the lieutenant governor's race, we have some solid people running. Tim yeah. Hugo, I mean, Glenn Davis. It's, it's dizzying how many great candidates we have at the governor's race, at the lieutenant governor's race, um, people who have announced, people who haven't announced, people who have talked and said, hey, I'm thinking about this. We've seen just a, a momentum shift in Virginia, um, and it's, it's because of what the Democrats have been doing. I mean, they kind of tried to promise common sense reforms, but they really sold Virginians a bill of goods. Nothing about what they've been doing is common sense. Um, at both houses, and then obviously with the governor's mansion, it's been, it's been a whole lot of nonsense, I think. Um, and it's really been disturbing. I mean, some of the things that have come out with the post-fourth abortions, which it shouldn't be a thing. Um, certainly, the governor Northam clearly doesn't seem to care about late-term abortions. No. Um, what we're seeing with the gun issue, um, where they're defining assault weapons as anything under 10 rounds, or anything rather over 10 rounds. Um, for the record, that would be just about every semi-automatic pistol, including the ones that your police are using right now. It doesn't make sense. The way that they're operating and running the house right now is problematic. I mean, you can talk to any legislative assistant or any chief of staff and they'll tell you, yeah, they don't have any idea of parliamentary procedure, of precedent, or how to actually operate a government. And we're seeing the effects of it. That's why so many people are coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, well, 100%. And I really feel like, you know, I always say they've overplayed their hand. If you stretch a rubber band too far, it will snap. And Glenn Davis, actually, we had him on and he put it perfectly. He said, if we do not win in 2021, it really is on us because right. every issue is on the table from schools to uh, the ridiculous policies now, I believe, I believe it was a part of Lee, uh, Carter's bill, not only cutting police by 25%, but also you can now assault a police officer and that's a misdemeanor. Right. So that, so the 25% wasn't even a bill, it was an amendment. So it's just a little sentence that he attached onto this, the budget as like a kind of FU to the police, right? Like what? I'm sorry, and it said, quote, deallocate de police budget by 25%. I shouldn't be laughing, it shouldn't be a joke. This man is literally in the state house and that is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, the defeminizing of assault that actually passed, that was the Senator um, Scott Sorvel. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, the stuff that they're sending out right now, you're exactly right. It should not be allowed. It's not it's good. Not even, and I, I say this, it's not even Terry McAuliffe's Democratic Party. That's right. I don't know whose party this is. I, I mean, look, I don't know. He, he's apparently going to run in 2021. We'll see how the party changes him. But even under a McAuliffe administration, this is, this is insane.
I've never, well, I don't is, think he would have done this. McAuliffe is going to get dragged right along with the rest of them. I mean, that's how their primary processes work, right? We look at um, Joe Biden and we see that he is essentially a plant for the Democrats. He's a trident horse. Um, to be honest with you, Northam ran as a moderate. I mean, that was his um, moderate Northam. We call them no-show Northam. Yeah. Um, the moment he took an office, we had blackface scandal, and he immediately became as far left as possible. Yeah. Um, there isn't a moderate Democrat anymore, certainly not in the House. And actually, what we're seeing is a kind of split, if you will, between the House Democrats and the Senate Democrats. I'd say the Senate Democrats look at the House Democrats as like petulant children. And um, <laughs> it's it's really bizarre to see how they're like, how they're, kind of rubbing up against each other. Even if you talk about the governor's race, lieutenant governor's race over on the Democrat side, you're seeing some um, scary things, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, well, it's been a well-rounded conversation. Let me close out with asking you two fun questions. What are you reading and what are you watching right now? Well, I'll tell you what I'm reading. Um, every single day, I'm reading nonsense from the left. I mean, even just this weekend. <laughs> you're reading I, I, wish, I wish I was kidding, but like, I'm serious, man. Every single... Every single day I turn on the news, it's something else, it's spin. Um, you know, this weekend we hosted a, a pretty big Trump train in Prince William County that went up to Fairfax County, um, you know, had huge numbers and lots of support. And then it was like a couple hours later, the New York Times wrote this national article that there was voter intimidation going on in Fairfax oh, yeah, County. that you guys were trying to scare people by just waving an American flag. Just, <laughs> I tell you the most absurd thing, man, honestly, because I was there. Um, and we, we, I FOIA'd for the police report and got it. And the police report says nothing of the sort of what they're saying. Um, they played their hand on that one and there's, there's nothing there. I mean, there's just no story there, but it became a national news story. So unfortunately that's what I'm reading. And you know, this is a cliche term. It's a term that my generation has turned into a meme, the fake news term. But yeah. when you actually live fake news and you've been in that story, you're like, wow, this is actually, this kind of sucks to be honest with you. <laughs> so not even, not even watching Fox makes you happy, maybe. Like well, that. I'm okay with Fox, but um, Fox 5 kind of flubbed up the story and they said that there were protesters protesting early voting, which is just the most ludicrous thing. We want people to vote early and in person. Why would we protest that? Like, what? What I do think is funny to end with this is that, remember, everyone was so freaked out about if you vote in person, you're going to get coronavirus. But then there were lines where I lived in Manassas around the block. People That's right. Packed together. No That's one right. concerned. Four hours. It was four hours. I had a friend come up to me um, when I was at the tent yesterday, and he goes, hey, how long is this line? I said, oh, I don't know, brother, probably like three and a half hours. He just got back in his car and said, I'll vote on election day. You know, we want people to vote, but also understand that the turnout right now in Fairfax County is 315 or 16% higher than it was last time, um, which is good in the sense that we are getting high turnout. And I think a lot of those are Republicans that don't want to admit it to the, pu to the public. It's also, um, that means that we, we need to be making sure that we're hitting those doors, hitting those phone calls like now, because these people are voting now, not in, a, not in a couple months, not after the debates, they're voting now. So the election's already started. Well, Sean, it was great having you on. Fairfax is lucky to have you and continue doing that great work, man. Keep you too. Thank you so much, man.